It's the time of year we're getting very excited about Christmas. I know our children are, and it's it's a wonderful time. And we're finishing up our uh, Christmas series where we're uh, it's understanding Christmas, and we uh, entitled the Creation Cradle Cross and Crown. Looking at the crown today. Now I want you to do me a favor. You know when we talk about the Christmas story, we're very familiar with it, aren't we? But I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to take your hand and put it over your watch right now. Just put it over your watch. That doesn't mean I'm going to go past 12 o'clock, but it, it means I want you to just cover your watch, and I want you to do me a favor and tell me, some of you who have digital watches really can't do this, but on your watch, if it's a circulated watch, I want you to tell me, are the numerals just little ticks? Are they numbers? Are they Roman numerals? Think about it for a minute. And can you do? And if you have numerals, are all the numerals there, or just some twelve and six and three? Because you know we have watches that you know you might have just with the little ticks, and then you have the ones with the Roman numerals, and you have some with numbers. Some of the numbers are missing, and then you just have like there you have a three, six, and nine. So, but it's something you do every day, isn't it? You look at your watch. And you're extremely familiar with it, but if I asked you, you'd probably struggle, what's missing from my watch? And isn't that true of the Christmas story? And I hope that as we've looked at um, the Christmas story, from all the way back in creation, it was prepared when we looked at the prophet's candle of hope and his prophecy and the details that we're learning there, how it all ties together some of the details here, but we looked at the prophecies of a Savior and how in Genesis 3.15, that proto-evangelum where he uh, was told that he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. The one a fatal wound, the one a wound. Speaking of Christ dealing with the serpent and sin. And then we read about um, the, the story of uh, Noah's Ark and how the Lord had made a way of salvation and those that ignored it perished. And then we read of the account of Abraham and Isaac and Isaac saying to his father, we have the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said to Isaac, the Lord will provide the lamb, speaking of something greater to come. And then the Passover story where these are narratives that tell us historically that something greater was to come and how the Jewish uh, people were asked to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their house and as God was having that showdown with the ten gods of Egypt and at night the death angel would pass over the house to which the blood was applied and how that speaks of us and how we're spared of a judgment to come as the blood is applied to the doorpost of our hearts the blood of Christ. And certainly we see the sacrificial system where lambs had to be just right. They had to be perfect. A male, they couldn't have spot or blemish how this spoke of the Savior. And then we talked about the cradle, the the, the time that we think about uh, the Lord Jesus being born in Bethlehem and how he was the, uh, we speak of the cradle of peace. And we lit that candle, the candle of peace. And we marvel that God took on human flesh and was willing to submit himself to manhood. And all this time, though, growing up, 
that shadow of the cross came over that cradle because that's what he was going to do. As, as Abby sang during the cantata, born to live, born to die, born to save. What a great uh, thing to know that that's the reason he came. He was living in the shadow of the cross. That was his mission. That was his purpose. And then last week we looked at um, the cross. We, As we sang just now, the, the reason the Lord Jesus came was to die on the cross and how the angel proclaimed to the shepherds, um, for unto you this day in the city of David, is born a Savior because that was their greatest need. And then um, their greatest Savior, how powerful he was saved. He had no spot or blemish and his blood was powerful to save. And then their response, we saw that they had joy and they believed the message and they went and they saw and they then from there they told others. The response was to tell others of the great things they saw and they worshipped. And so we, we see from them their good uh, example of how we should respond to the the joy of Christmas, and so what we're doing is we're we're looking at the creation cradle, cross, and crown. We're looking at the picture of God's redemptive program, but also we've looked at some of the finer details, kind of like on our watch that we don't always catch when we talk about the Christmas story. We looked at some of the finer details, and hopefully, hopefully, you grow in a greater appreciation of what. God did in giving us the Lord Jesus. But today we're going to look at the crown. We're going to finish this series and we're going to look at the crown. And we call it the angel's candle, but it speaks of love and the love of God and what he did. And this whole redemptive program speaks of the heart of God, the love of God. So I'd like to read from the uh, account in Matthew. And so as a result, would honor the reading of God's Word, would you please stand with me as I read from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12, a larger section of Scripture, but you're familiar with these, but let's listen to these words again. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard the king, Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, 
they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Please be seated. Lord, add your blessing to the reading of his word. So we're going to try to understand this text. And then we see, we're going to look at this. And basically, uh, Jesus was pronounced a king before his birth. He was pronounced a king at his birth. He was pronounced a king at his death. And he's pronounced a king in glory. So let's take a look at each of these. Uh, pronounced a king before his birth. The scriptures tell us in Numbers uh, 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out, come forth from Jacob. A scepter will rise from Israel. And then in Isaiah, we've read this previous weeks, but this is again another indication of his pronouncement as king. For unto us a child is born. And it speaks here of, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this or accomplish this. And we see that this is even before he was born. And then we see his the pronouncement of his kingship at his birth. And it says... This is right when Mary is conceiving, and it says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of David, his father. And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then we see... The passage that Randy read this morning, um, the wise men asked Herod and said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And we see the story of, of the three kings coming. We call them magi. And so when you see the term magi, it, it's a, a term dealing with wise men, astrologers, combination astronomers. Um, they were from a priestly order of the Medes and Persians. And they were in the East. And they were very prominent, very affluent, very wealthy. And so when you think of the Medes and the Persians and that area of the world, who do you think influenced these wise men? And many Bible scholars think that they were under the influence of Daniel, who 530 years prior to this was a prominent member of the court in Persia. And they think his influence and the scriptures that he had were passed down. And so we see that these wise men were wise because of perhaps what Daniel had passed on. That's purely conjecture, but you can see the prominence of Daniel um, in, in that time. And his influence could have been felt by the Magi. Also, 
We use the number three. Read three kings from Orient Art. Joe just played that. It's a beautiful song. But where do we get the number three? And it usually comes from the three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. But it could have been a larger party. It could have been smaller. But we get that three kings from uh, the gifts. And it's interesting, the gifts that are presented, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, speaks of gold, the royalty of the Christ child. The frankincense is is a aromatic uh, uh, bomb that will, when it's lit, it will burn and it will be a fragrance, speaking of his priestly ministry. And the myrrh speaks of prepare him for his death, his sacrificial uh, life that he was to live. Also, all of these were easily tradable, as we see in the Christmas story, as a uh, Joseph and Mary take the child and they flee to Egypt because Herod was interested in this child, but not for benevolent reasons. Herod was threatened. Herod killed his wife, he killed his sons, he killed anyone that opposed him, and this child was going to be no different. And so after, when he determined where this time was, when they first saw the star... He calculated about two years, so any child in in Bethlehem, two years and younger, was killed because he perceived them to be a threat. Angel warned Joseph to leave, and these gifts were then used to provide income for Joseph and Mary in Egypt. God's provision through these magi. And then you have probably have seen presentations on TV or have read stories, and we have traditional names, Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthasar. But these are not biblical names. These are not in the scriptures. We get these names from what we call the apocryphal books, those intertestamental books that um, our, our Catholic friends um, agreed to the apocryphal books being part of the canon of scripture, but the Jews and and uh, evangelical Christians don't um, agree that that those books of the Bible, but that's where the origin is. Even though we consider them not biblical, this is where we get those names from. Just wanted to make you aware of that. But look at it. Um, we we see this at his at his birth and how the Magi were so prominent they were coming to worship him. But then we see he is pronounced a king at his death. And in John eighteen thirty seven it says, Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly, I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Pilate asked him if he is a king, and he declares that he is a king. And then listen as Pilate then the proceedings go and they're sending Jesus out to be crucified and Pilate says Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross it read Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic in Latin and in Greek So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. 
So here Pilate makes a sign, puts it up there, this king of the Jews, in some ways ridiculing him, but moved by God to put this pronouncement up there. The the Jews were offended by that, but he said, what I've written, I've written. He probably had enough of that. The the Jewish leaders had forced Pilate's hand. He probably wasn't real happy. His wife said, have nothing to do with this righteous man. And yet, he sends him to be executed. So he said, what I have written, I have written. And so you've seen um, medieval art. And you'll see a, a lovely painting of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And oftentimes you'll see uh, the inscription above the cross, I-N-R-I. You know, what does that mean? And what I want to do is just explain that in the Latin, the I replaced the J and the V replaced the U. So really it's, uh, Jesus, the Nazarene, Rex is king, and the Judorum, or the Jews. And so that's where that comes from. So the I would be a J, and so whether they, it's, this is what it probably looked like. In that you have three languages. On the top is the Hebrew, in the middle is the Greek, and on the bottom line is the Latin. And isn't that significant that Jesus is crucified, if we look at modern-day Israel and where we think the crucifixion took place, was right off the Damascus Road. And that the Romans were, as we talked about Pax Romana and the Roman peace and how they wanted to restore or keep order, they used crucifixion as a very real deterrent tool. And so... Along that road, they would crucify these. And here we have Golgotha, and Christ crucified this, and this title above his cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Not in one language, not in two, but three languages. The languages of the known world at that time, and how God wanted all of us to know that this was the King of the Jews. He had a heart to communicate that Jesus was the king. And then we see Jesus pronounced a king in glory. In the first advent, Jesus comes as a suffering king, the suffering servant of Jehovah. And his message is salvation and redemption. The second advent... Jesus comes as a strong, sovereign king. And his purpose is judgment, recompense. He is going to deal with judgment. Uh, Layla played a beautiful rendition uh, with the ukulele and sang so nicely. Joy to the world. And when you read the words of joy to the world, that's more about Jesus' second coming than his first Remember I talked about the peaks of the prophet and how we would touch on those peaks and they would seem very close, but what that song speaks about is more about his his coming to earth to reign as king in the millennial. And we see how he does that. So he's coming for judgment and recompense. And the, the warning here is 
we can make peace with Christ now while he's in the salvation mode and the forgiveness mode and the redemptive mode as opposed to facing him as judge. I always tell that when I witness this, you're going to be before God one day and do you want to meet him as your savior or do you want to meet him as your judge? Your choice. So, it's interesting as we compare and contrast the two advents. It's, it, it's good. When we look at the prophecy, I had shared with you that there were about 109 prophecies of his first coming. In his second coming, there are over 800 that deal with the second coming. So it's a much more prominent um, prophecy in the scriptures. Over 800. Um, the purpose, we talked about one was redemption, one was recompense. A whole different purpose in establishing his kingdom in the second coming. They're personal, the bodily, they're both bodily appearing. When we see that babe in Bethlehem's manger, physically, bodily there, and Jesus, we're going to come back with him, with his saints, and it will be personal, it will be physical. And then we see the preparedness. As in the, the story, uh, the first advent, there were some that were very prepared. Last Wednesday, Dr. Tarkington was so kind to take our Wednesday night prayer time, and we looked at the prayer of uh, the, the, the Christmas prayer series, and we looked at Simeon and Anna, and the description of Simeon was that he was, they were looking for the consolation of Israel. What a great description. They wanted, they were looking for that redemptive Savior of Israel. They were prepared, but many people were indifferent. They didn't care. We even see this in the story. Herod, he's going to become angry. He's going to be uh, threatened. Where were the religious leaders? In Bethlehem of Judea. That's where the, this Messiah is going to be. They get a report from these wise men. Did they do anything about it? No. They were indifferent. And yet we see these kings, these magi from the east. They were prepared. They had read the situation. They said, something miraculous, something marvelous is happening here. And we're going to worship him. And then we look at power. When we sing, mild he, mild he laid his glory by. Speaks of the first coming. How he came in meekness. That's power under control. He, the kenosis. We talked about his emptying himself of his privilege as, as God. He emptied himself. Emptied his power. Not so in the second coming. He's come in power and might. He is going to do business. He's going to come in might. First time meekness. Second time might. Interesting to compare and contrast these that we appreciate what he's done. And so we see in the scriptures in Revelation, it says, These were war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. And then it says in Revelation 19, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. The great uh, Handel, Messiah, the, the whole description that, that is done both at Christmas and Easter. Uh, he locked himself in his room and over the course of uh, weeks penned the words and the music to the Messiah. And we all recognize and remember and have been moved when he does the hallelujah chorus. And in that is that refrain, King of kings and Lord of lords. How he is pronounced a king in glory. And we, we bow the knee to him. So we see the, the crown as being what he's always been and was born and will be forever. He's the king of love. And I love this song. We touched on it today, but um, the song that we sing at Calvary. And I love the phrase, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the love, oh, the grace that brought it down to man. And oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. But the plan from the beginning was in the mind of Christ before the foundations of the earth to do this and we've seen this played out from creation the cradle the cross and crown as I mentioned earlier there are three responses that we can come to to this as we approach this king of glory and love there's three responses we can we can be like Herod we can have absolute open hatred these weren't wise men because they were just given that title. They were smart. They learned how to read people. And then Herod called them and said, Tell me when you find him so I can worship him. Herod's reputation preceded him. Herod had open hatred for this newborn king and he was going to deal with it. And then we see the chief priest and the scribes. They were indifferent. They heard this good news, this report from the Magi. And they did nothing. No decision is a decision. And then we see the wise men. They came to worship and to adore and to love this newborn king because of what he represented. And the question that I have to ask you, which one is he represents you? Remember, not many of us are openly hated this king. But many of us might be indifferent. We fit him into our little niche when we get when it's convenient. Or do we worship him as a wise man? And I love this phrase. Wise men still seek him today. When you recognize the love of God manifest in this infant who would grow up and become the payment for our sins. Why would you not want to be reconciled to a holy God? That is truly wisdom when we see what he's done. We'll conclude. And if if you would like to make peace with this king on his terms, you can do that today. You can simply come, we'll pray, and you can say, I surrender. I'm coming to make peace on your terms because you're the king and I'm not. Perhaps you have a special request or something you'd like to pray about. I'd be happy to do that as well.
as we close and sing our hymn of invitation. Let us close in prayer. Jesus, you are Lord at your birth. You are the King. And we praise you. And I thank you for the salvation that you purchase for each and every one of us. I pray for us, Father, to be mindful of us this Christmas season, that we would keep you center in our conversation, in our celebration with friends and family and loved ones. I pray that you would, uh, that we would be willing to tell others of you. And thank you that we can make peace with you. I pray, Father, for us to love one another and to care for one another uh, as a church body and as your uh, bride, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Before you leave, I, Ed Thompson has something you'd like to share with us, please. I'll be very brief. What I'm trying to do right now seems very inadequate for what we owe this man and this family. Uh, he means so much to us. He's, we owe him a lot. But what I have here is just a little Christmas cheer from you to him and our wishes for you to have the merriest of Christmas and happiest of New Year's and enjoy your time with your family. God Thank you, Ed. You. Thank you. Thank you, church. Thank you. Thank you.